from the book of Acts, and I'm reading from the New International Version. On the screen, there's also Bibles uh, in front of you there. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. It's titled, Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, And told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And it would be great to uh, hear the interpretation as Graham comes and speaks to us now. We look forward to that. So, Graham, if you'd like to come up. I'll just uh, pray for you now. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the way uh, Philip was able to take time to explain it to this Ethiopian. And Father, we just pray that as we reflect on this passage, as Graham speaks to us tonight, that you will speak through him. May your spirit move out through him and help us to understand and that we in turn might be able to help others understand as we go out from this place tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, thank you for your welcome here today and for this this evening. It is great to be with you. It's great to be here and worship with you. Um, It's a real privilege also to join you for your missions month. Um, Encourage you in that. And today, tonight, I'd like to talk about what I'm calling consequential conversations. That is conversations that have real and enduring consequences. Conversations that have impact, if you like. So in mid-March, I sat with two colleagues of mine in a little tiny hole-in-the-wall restaurant down in Dandenong, 
and we met a family. There's an adult daughter, a mother and a father. We met them for the very first time. There'd been some WhatsApping. Never actually met them till that night in this restaurant. And this, this family are from a persecuted minority. And they've experienced great violence, great loss, um, you know, the traumatic journey to get to Australia. But many of this community now live in Australia, and many, many of them live in, in the southern part of Melbourne. And so we talked together over a meal about language and identity and culture and kind of the future, you know, what hopes they had and what vision do they have for their community. And we, so we shared our journeys, we shared our stories, and the connections were really deep and real and moving. It had a real, real impact on, on me. And as we talked, this father, who's also a community leader, looks at me in the eye and he says, so why are you interested in our community? What's your motivation? It's almost like, what do you want? Kind of moment. And it's a good question, actually. It's nice to know what you're getting yourself into. And I answered, and I said, using the kind of the language that SIL uses, that we're inspired by God's love. And so for that reason, God loves people, God loves his community, this community, and for that reason, we are motivated to kind of, to walk alongside them and to seek maybe what's best for them. And and although that family and and myself and my team, we, we have, we share a very different faith, that answer made sense to him. He could see that God could inspire people because of God's love. And so hopefully that, that connection that evening gives us this great ability to connect and to build a deeper and more trusting relationship. And indeed, that mealtime conversation then led us to being invited um, to go to a, a big community festival two weeks after that and have a stall and to be there and to be a presence in their community and to be there and to talk about language their language, about, about which there's not a lot known and which there are, there's not many materials that have put ourselves in that place. Um, and they were looking at engaging more with that community. And so that conversation over dinner was a very real and tangible one that had consequences for this family, for my team and my work, as well as I think for the kingdom. One of the things that we've started doing during, uh, during COVID, in fact, because we couldn't, I could no longer travel <laughs> during COVID like the rest of us, um, we started a pilot project looking at the diaspora communities of Melbourne. And we think there's, you know, there's at least 250 languages spoken in Melbourne. And many of those languages are a minority in there, or they're, they're isolated, or they're marginalised. Um, and it's been exciting. It's been daunting because all of a sudden... I have to seeming that I have to know about a whole bunch of different languages, which is not which aren't my background necessarily. But we keep finding ourselves having these amazing conversations with communities and with community leaders. It's been a real privilege. So I hope this evening, as we kind of look at Acts eight, hope it's an encouragement to you um, as you think about consequential conversations and indeed the conversation, the chat that Philip and the Ethiopian man had. Um, yeah, made a huge difference. Conversation with real impact. So we first meet this Ethiopian man as he's travelling home from Jerusalem on the road towards Gaza. So he's most likely from the kingdom of Nubia in modern Sudan. So he's a black African. He's an important man of power and ability. 
No, so much so that he's the treasurer of the kingdom. And throughout this passage in Acts 8, Luke wants to make one thing very clear about this guy. Um, he only calls him Ethiopian once. The rest of the time, he refers to him, he refers to him as the eunuch. And then that's a clue partly for, what, for Luke's focus, and also I think it's a clue into what, what is going on in terms of the gospel. Just to unpack you know, a word which we don't use normally in our normal life, the eunuch. So this is a man who is most probably castrated in preparation for his role at the royal court. So he's a physical eunuch. His physical condition, plus his ethnic origin, would have made him a complete outsider in this space in, in Palestine. He was, would have been a marginalised and excluded person in the world that he is moving it brings to mind, I guess, I wonder how we might treat him today in our context or in, say, my context. And I wonder what group or groups this man might identify with. Um, would a Christian be willing to talk to him? Would he be welcome in my church? Would he be welcome in this church? Jesus himself actually acknowledges the existence of eunuchs in Matthew 19. And he's actually, it's a passage where he's talking about marriage. He's been challenged on the issue of divorce. And his final statement, of course, is about challenging married people, particularly men, (laughs) to be faithful and to a lifelong relationship. But he also acknowledges that there will be people around in the community who will not marry because they're eunuchs or they've chosen singleness for the sake of the kingdom. So Jesus' challenge and his direction certainly is towards married people and reminding them to be committed he also recognises that there are other categories of people in the world that do not adhere to that usual binary male and female pairing. Some are born eunuchs, he says, and some are made eunuchs. And the Ethiopian man is one of these. So, you know, this category of gender is not new. And throughout history, religious institutions, churches, have struggled to work out how to deal with the other, where that difference is with race or religion or gender. And in Judaism, there's a very clear line drawn. So in Deuteronomy 23.1, there's a very clear direction that eunuchs are to be excluded from the worship of Israel. Um, they are not, they're, they're not going to be part of the people of God. And certainly through the time of Jesus and Luke, that is, that is, that is still true at that point. There's a picture on the slide, hopefully. Ah, oh, there is, great. Of, the reconstruction, of a reconstruction of the temple. And that inner court with those high walls, you can see that's just the inner part of the temple. Um, That's where the the real worship, as it were, happened. That outer area, outside that, was called the Court of the Gentiles. It was a space for outsiders, the marginalised, for foreigners um, who wanted to worship. So that's as close as the Ethiopian man might have ever got. He's travelled all the way from Sudan. Now he's standing on the outside. Um, If he was actually permitted to get that far. It's remarkable to me that he's, about, he's, he's come all this way to worship and here he is not able to actually enter into the full worship and the life of life with, his, with, with the Jews. And I think about this in terms of geography and, and distance and travel. I guess our modern equivalent would be if there was a footy fan, I'll let you choose the code because I'm, I'm a cross-cultural worker in this context. So the footy, if there was a footy fan in Alice Springs, they've come all the way to Melbourne... And they've got to outside the MCG, 
and they're just going to listen to the game from the street. That's kind of what's happened for this guy. That's the distance he's travelled. That's kind of the experience he would have. The noise, right? Um, That's about it. And it would have taken him weeks and weeks of slow and dangerous travel to get that far. And then he would have had to turn around and go home again. So clearly, this Ethiopian guy, he is serious. He is committed and he wants to worship and he wants to study about the God of the Jews. And he's being as faithful as he can be. He's participating as much as he's allowed to. But again, his status as a foreigner, his status as a eunuch, exclude him from the full religious and worship experience that he had he desired. But he, he's still enthusiastic. I think that's quite an incredible thing. We've seen, we've seen again and again where people who are who, people who take that half step forward towards God, that God is more than able to kind of go, go the rest of the way um, as people seek him. So his enthusiasm, we also see his enthusiasm because on the way home, he's reading a very precious and what would be a very, very expensive, a rare scroll of Isaiah. So he's had the experience, he's now on his way home and he's reading through Isaiah. And as he reads, he's clearly, he's puzzled by the description of the servant in Isaiah 53. He wants to know who the servant is. He asks, is this the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Of course, the, that passage in Isaiah 52 in the 53, one of the servant songs, describes a servant of a God as one who is marred, one who is physically disfigured, who's damaged. But that person is killed to save the people of God from their sin. And the servant passages in Isaiah proclaim loudly that God is doing a radical and new thing. And the thing that God is doing will change things forever. And in his reading, the Ethiopian man is caught, uh, has caught a glimpse of that promise, of that future hope, and he wants to know more. He wants to know the servant. And I like to imagine in my head that he's, as he's reading the Isaiah scroll, he, he's just going to go a couple of chapters further as he reads on, and I wonder about his reaction when he, when he gets to chapter 56, where there's even a greater proclamation, if you like, for him, a greater promise from God about people like himself. So in Isaiah 56, promises that there will be a day when foreigners and eunuchs, the people who are complete outsiders to God's people, that these people will now participate in God's blessing. So here's a promise, and as he reads on, there is this notion that the foreigner and the eunuch, those who are faithful and righteous, they'll be blessed. And as a eunuch, he will not have children, so he will not have a name of descendants, but God would give him a name that would last forever. The image in verse 3 is of a dead and dried up tree. I don't know, I grew up in kind of more rural Australia. We grew up in a period of uh, about a decade-long drought. And so this kind of resonates, this notion of a a tree that's dead because of drought, that, that desolation, that lack of hope, no life. And yet Isaiah 56 promises that this will be reversed. That God will do a new thing as the foreigner and eunuch are embraced as God's own and become part of his people. 
And because of the work of the servant, because of the death of the servant, his sacrifice, the eunuch can then be included in God's family. And so we, will see, we see Jesus, of course, in the Gospels, fulfilling Isaiah's vision of the servant and making a way for outsiders to join God's family. In fact, in Mark 11, the passage that it's well known, Jesus acts against the merchants and the sellers in the temple space. And in fact, this, if you like, is a small step towards this fulfillment that all people would have equal access to God and God's house. And Jesus was outraged that, that non-Jews, that eunuchs and others, other un- unclean people were being crowded out and excluded and ripped off from entering, they were trying to enter the, this, this courtyard for worship and yet there was no room left because all this clutter of tables and, and markets. The religious authorities had allowed it to become built up by kind of profiteers and people who were exploiting people and ripping them off. And so Jesus scatters those tables and uses the words of Isaiah 56, 7 and proclaims that God's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Now Jesus stood up for a man like the eunuch, others who were excluded, and he made room for them to come and worship the Lord. In Acts chapter 8, 26, we see that Philip hears the prompting of God and he went out into the desert. Um, he's got no idea why he's going or what he's going to be doing. God said just Head out that way, I guess. <laughs> but as this wagon draws near on the road, Philip hears this man reading. This is a time when people didn't read quietly. They read, they read out loud, probably reading in Greek. He recognises what the man is reading and he says, do you understand what you are reading? It's a very simple question, is it? Do you understand what you're reading? And the question is then an invitation to a deeper conversation. You know, again, Philip wasn't sure what was going on, I'm sure, that day. But once he was there, he was able to see, he was able to hear, and he was able to respond. And his response was to ask a question. I think the ability to see others is something that we all should be cultivating more and more. I know it's so easy for us in my life for others to become invisible, for life to become very transactional, um, and particularly as we're preoccupied with busyness and our own concerns, we charge through life and not notice people. So I think learning to see, learning to slow down, to see and respond, that is such a powerful tool. It's a fundamental tool for making connections and building relationships. We can always assume that God is at work around us. God is at work in us, but God is always, wherever we go, God is there before us. And he's at work in that place, in, in that community, in those people. So yes, my goal, our goal is to better see, better recognize what is God doing in this place. And then join him. And that's what Philip does. There is something going on. God is stirring this man's heart. Philip goes and sees. And responds in a way that then creates an opportunity for this Ethiopian man to open up to ask his own questions. And of course it leads it into an invitation for Philip to stop running after a carriage and actually get, um, get inside and have a real conversation. 
We said that being open to others often creates an openness for them to invite us into their lives, into their spaces. And in this instance, Philip no doubt recognised what God was doing. In the previous chapter of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, we see that in his ministry in Samaria, Philip had already broken down the walls and barriers of race and religion that had separated the Samaritans and the Jews for centuries. And so we see in chapter 7 that Samaritans are welcomed into the family of God. And now in this Ethiopian man, someone who really, for the ancient world, this guy is from the furthest ends of the world. All of a sudden, this guy can hear the good news that God doesn't show favourites, that God welcomes all. And not only that, as it were, this, this barrier of gender um, is broken down. And the Ethiopian then man then, of course, asked that question about the identity of the servant, and Philip was unable to unpack the good news. Of course, the simple answer we get here is, it's, it's Jesus. <laughs> That's what you need to know. That Jesus himself was the one who suffered to redeem. And as the Ethiopian man listens, as he understands, he reaches his next big question. Verse 34. What is stopping me from being baptised? Up until then, he'd been blocked from joining the Jewish community of faith. But now perhaps this new community, the community of Christ, will permit him to join. The Ethiopian's bold question is met with Philip's bold response. And obviously the, chariot, the carriage stops and the man is, is baptised right there and then. And he's filled with the joy of the new life in the spirit. On the right there's an image I love. It's from a, an Ethiopian manuscript from the 19th century. So it's not particularly old. But it shows this beautiful moment where the man is baptised. It looks like he's cold to me, but maybe it's because it's winter. Um, he's being baptised and the Holy Spirit is is poured out on him. And next to that, there's an image of a tree that is thriving. Because the eunuch who was like a dead tree is now transformed by his hearing and understanding the good news about Jesus. And he's baptized and rising from the water, he's transformed. He's a flourishing tree now. A new creation. Full of life. Full of possibility. He's a fulfillment of Isaiah 56. He has a new name as a child of God and has everlasting life in abundance. You know, and to this very day, the Ethiopian church draws a direct line from this man to the Ethiopian church. That this man is the origin of the church in Ethiopia. It's quite an impact for one conversation. I guess that's the power of a consequential conversation. I'd like to encourage you as we, we you know, head out of our Sunday and head back into our week, our week at work, at home, um, school, uni, wherever. I'd like to suggest some things where we can take from this passage and from Philip's conversation with the Ethiopian man. First of all, where are the others, the others in your life? Where are the people who are, or who are the people who are invisible, perhaps, in your daily life? Um, I'm aware that I, I, you know, I charge through, and I charge through the local shops, and, uh, and don't necessarily 
think about the people who actually I interact with quite regularly. <laughs> the, us- the usual people. I talk to the butcher a bit. Um, but that's about it. I just kind of charge on the place and do my things. And there's a whole variety of relationships there that are possible. Or conversations or a chance for me to encourage or just to bless someone with a simple word. Where are the people who are invisible to the life of this church community or my church community out in Warrandyte? Because if we've been brought, if we have been brought into family of God by Jesus' marvelous life, death, and resurrection, then we should be seeking opportunities to include people and not exclude them. So the first challenge is to try to identify where these people are in your lives and to pray for them. If you don't know exactly who they are, what their name is, you can still pray for them. I think this is actually a great week also to encourage you to check out the Reconciliation Australia page. Um, this week at work, uh, we're gathering, we're going to watch a documentary on SBS about literacy in an Indigenous community. And that's a natural thing for people like us who are language people and into literacy. I think it's called In Our Word. It's a great documentary. We're going to watch that and get, take some time to listen and to learn and also to pray for that community. And ask God to show you ways you can cultivate love for the other, for the marginalised, for the excluded. Because as we learn to love, we will be transformed. Um, And together we'll take a step closer to the promise of Jesus, that God's house would be a home and a place of prayer for all nations. So we need to take these opportunities to have conversations with other people, learn to listen to them. And listen to what God might be doing in them or in us. And perhaps that sounds daunting. I know I'm, you know, I'm a, um, definitely an introvert. But there is definitely mileage. It's, there's a great joy in this. And there's mileage about being able to ask a question and then just listen to the answer. In my work while until COVID, I traveled a lot. I was overseas a lot. And one of the great joys, my, kind of my, almost my a, a rhythm of life, was looking forward to talking with taxi drivers. Um, you know, the trip from home to Tullamarine is at least 40 minutes. So I know that it's it a good time there to get into a really nice chat. Um, you know, there's, and often it's from the driver's language or their faith or their worship or their homeland or their family, any one of those topics. And even at 4am, the time flies by. You can fill that space so easily. People are excited to talk about because these things are deep issues. These issues of identity. They touch people's lives and hearts, and it can lead to some really fun and really deep conversations. And over the years, I guess, I've learned, and God has been teaching me, that I can trust God in his conversations. Um, I know that he's at work in the world around me. He's at work in the lives of the people around me, and he's near. He's not far off. And so Philip, he didn't know where the conversation was going. He said he had no way to know that potentially he was, you know, this is going to lead to this, this church being planted that continues till today. But he trusted that God was faithful. He trusted that God was present. So this week, go out and do your best to have a, a real conversation, a consequential conversation. It doesn't always have to end up being telling someone the entire good news, the entire gospel, but start to conversate with people. Learn to Listen. It probably means, it may mean being braver than you usually are, um, but like learning any new skill or um, learning a new, or starting a new habit, it's uncomfortable at first. 
But once you get the hang of it, I think you'd be surprised at what is possible when we are open, when we are positive and prayerful and empathetic. Um, It's quite interesting to see what God will do. God will do things within us, giving us love for others. And God will also potentially transform others' lives. Let me pray to close. Heavenly Father, draw us near to you.